Welcome to the Yams and Yuka podcast, where we explore the fabric of Black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. With the show, we hope to connect with fellow creatives from across the African diaspora, amplify their voices, and create a tapestry of interconnected experiences. First, let us introduce ourselves. Hi everyone, I'm Heather Benson, originally from Atlanta, Georgia in the States, and now living in London, England. And I'm a dance artist, lecturer, and creative producer. Hi, I'm Kamara. I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and now I live in London, and I'm a dance artist, teacher, choreographer, and I'm the artistic director of Artistry Youth Dance. Let's see what's on the menu for today. Hi, Kamara. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. That's good. Um, So we are here at the table. We're about to jump into today's conversation. We are focusing on the concept of survival. Right. Yeah, and how that affects your creativity, your identity, how you move in the world, depending on where you are. Obviously, right now, we're in a bit of survival mode or we have been in survival mode for a good chunk of 2020 Um, i know that's how i feel what about you oh absolutely absolutely we've had uh, a few challenges that have put us in that mode not only have we had the pandemic but then we've had the issues stemming from the black lives matter protests and that movement so that has all impacted us especially as creatives as black creatives Mm. What is that doing to you and how you approach your your art form? Well, initially with the survival mode, you know, I think it can either push you to do do something or it can stifle you. So I think I have definitely experienced both during this time, during the survival mode. I've had times where I haven't been able to move as far as being creative. I literally have not had any ideas or wanted to do anything um so I definitely have been stifled and wanted to stop completely um but then in those moments when I have stopped it has allowed me to rethink things have the time to reflect on things um and then allowed me to to move forward so in some respects I have stopped but in other respects I have been able to re evaluate uh the things that I do and repackage it and mm. deliver it in a slightly different way yeah how about yourself same I know like when everything started happening and things started to shut down earlier in the year I did have a moment where I just was stuck and um I just didn't feel like doing anything and I felt very very removed from my craft as far mm. as dance and I wasn't very motivated but I just sort of embraced that and uh, Quite frankly, I've come up with so many other ideas outside of my my art form. And I'm still, you know, this podcast, we've been talking about this for like over a year and we've had the time to work on this. And even though it's not directly um, connected to um, working in dance, it is still somewhat related. So, yeah, that, that idea of like repackaging or reshaping or refocusing what I'm doing um, in a creative way has, has happened in this mm-hmm sense of survival um but then you know there that is that there's that immediate panic and you're just like well what am I doing why did I choose this (laughs) like you know other people who are working in more um commercial sectors um more business sectors where it's a little bit more stable I mean everyone's feeling it not to say that um you know they're not feeling the impact of everything that's happening but there's a little bit more security because people still need to turn on their internet. So if people work in IT and you know what I mean? They still need to run basic business. Um, it's still going. Whereas, you know, with us where we are working with people, we're in spaces. Um, myself, I was, you know, planning a summer festival that was right. going to be outside with thousands of people. Right. And that just 
completely went away in a matter of days. So that panic like really, really set in. And then once I let that sort of wash over me, you know, I, you know, dug my head in and kind of focused on things that I had been wanting to do for so long, like this podcast and other ideas that I, you know, I had in my mind and um, didn't have the time to do. I use that with air quotes because, <laughs> you know, I, we just didn't make time for it. But um, yeah, new things are coming. And even I've, I've returned back to my craft out of habit um, right. in a new way, so online platforms and um, the people that I work with or, you know, my students are, are happy and grateful, but it does feel strange because it's in a different way. Yes. I definitely question my identity. I would say as an artist, like what does it mean to be an artist right now when I'm not in the space? I had already been questioning that in a sense because I wasn't in a performance space, which is what I was used to for such a long portion of my career. Right. But then to go from just questioning like a small bit because I wasn't on stage to now like, everything has kind of been uprooted and changed. Mm. It's, um, it's a big shift in, in my identity. Yes. I mean, I've always, I've always found it interesting how, um, we as creatives, maybe this is not everybody, maybe this is, is just me, that we feel that we are connected to actually doing our art, whereas you look at other industries, and if you had somebody who was, say, a doctor, if they were not yeah. practicing, they would still call themselves a doctor. Right. They don't necessarily have to be working at that time for them to say they're a doctor. They would never be like, oh, I, I was a doctor. Do you know what I mean? But for some reason, and I know I've done it, I I feel like if I'm not doing the exact thing at that time, um, then I'm not that. I'm still a choreographer, Mm. even though I might not necessarily be being paid to choreograph at this point in time. Uh, So I think that's something that we need to think about how we address ourselves as creatives because Mm. we are still still creatives even if it's, yeah we're not doing it at that point in time I feel like I've become more of a creative in mm-hmm. this space right. rather than a dance artist because I've had to be creative and um innovative in how I've um reshaped myself as an artist so mm-hmm. I'm I'm creating new things that have nothing to do with dance and I am still being an artist and there's an art in reinventing yourself in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And people do that in any type of career when you have to make that transition or you want to, you know, um, upgrade yourself or, you know, um, catapult yourself to the next level. You are being creative in how you do that and reinvent the, the way that you do things. So, yeah, I would say I've definitely felt more of a creative in this time of survival Mm -hmm. rather than a dance artist. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I guess it's just how um, we use the energy or decide. I I think the thing is in survival mode, what's important is you do what feels comfortable for you, what works for you. Mm. If you do need to stop, which I definitely needed to stop, I definitely needed to stop, uh, then that's okay. Uh, We've definitely seen examples of people who have been very reactive and and it looks like you know you can kind of feel the panic in them almost with the art that they've produced or the things that they're doing uh in the sector um but yes I guess I have learned and this time has really taught me or reminded me the importance of doing what feels comfortable for you you know it's not something I've mastered by any means but um Mm -hmm. Uh, have had some moments to to be okay with whatever is happening. Have you found that? Yeah, I've. I mean, I've had to embrace that for sure because we we can't control anything that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a choice <laughs> but to just accept and um, let go of the things that you know they're they're just happening to you and that sense of panic I, yeah you can definitely see that in in art I know that when I am 
you know, when I am trying to reach a deadline, some of the times that panic helps me produce art. Mm-hmm. I guess there's a balance in a, in a, for me, and for me, I know there's a balance of like, just not being prepared for that moment to create. And then you've lost time or you're up against the deadline and then clearly it's just not done well. Right. Um, and in the sense, like there's just was, that comes a bit with like, preparedness planning having something or knowing what to do or being in a familiar situation where you're up against the wall and you can still produce and you know that you can because you've been in that situation right whereas this like we've never been in this situation so yes yeah it's like there is no way to prepare a plan for this so you can't you don't have a choice but to just accept it and yeah and give into it so we've got different types of survival i guess yeah different situations that cause us to use the survival skills differently. Yeah. Do you feel like you're thriving right now? No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like you're on the way to thriving? I'm on the way. I've had moments. I've definitely had moments. And one thing, um, as I said, I've had the time to reflect and be reminded of what's important because for me, actually, being a creative choreographing is something that is really important for me which I've not focused on at all Mm. and I was reminded in fact by a student that she asked me why am I not (laughs) why am I not choreographing why am I teaching and it was just so unusual and came from such an unlikely source uh, the reminder, um, but it was much needed. So uh, I'm definitely on the path by being able to recognize and, and know what is going to allow me to thrive and working on the things uh, that bring me um, joy and the things that I recognize are of value to me is going to make me thrive. So so the answer is um, I I'm on my way, but I'm definitely yeah. definitely not there yet. Uh, how about yourself? How do you feel? Am I thriving? Do I feel like I'm thriving? In a way, yes. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm thriving in the sense that I have the space to think creatively. Yes. Sometimes when um, my child's not screaming at the top of her lungs mm-hmm. in my ears, <laughs> I have times to think. Um, because that is also a shift for me is... Um, working on my craft and being around my child 24 seven is completely new. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do feel like I have more space to think because I'm not just in the daily routine of travel to work, do the work, be exhausted, come home. Do you know what I mean? All that, that daily routine of coming and going and not really um, being all the time. Yes. So yeah, I feel in a way, yes. Um, but am I thriving in the way that I, I desire to, or aspire to, shall I say? No, I'm not there yet, but I wasn't there, um, before all this happened anyway. So, um, I'm okay with that because I know I'm happy with the fact that I have the space to, to think and be so that I can make sure that I'm actually working in my purpose and walking in my purpose yes yes that is important so I guess survival helps us identify how to do that how can we walk in our purpose how can we be in Mm. our purpose that is a good that is a good point to reflect on I think and even to kind of to leave leave that as a lasting thought yeah How can survival help us walk in our purpose or be in our purpose? Absolutely. Well, let's hear from our guests. I think we have someone coming to the table soon. Yes, and I'm excited. And I would love to hear how people have operated in survival mode as well. That would be really interesting. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will hear from our guests for today's meal. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's time to introduce our guest for today's meal. We have Alessandra Sutin joining us. Before she comes to the virtual table, I'll share a little bit about her. 
She's an international performer, choreographer, and teacher. Alessandra is the daughter to South African and Belgian parents, was born in Harare, Zimbabwe. She grew up in Brussels and now lives in London. She studied dance in different parts of the world, including Europe, Africa, Asia, and the United States. Since founding her company, Vocab Dance, in 2007, Alessandra has progressively built an international reputation for creating thought-provoking and visually striking performances for small to large-scale theaters, as well as non-theater settings. Her creativity is triggered by issues that address and reflect social, political, and economic circumstances. And with movement, voice, and music, she shares stories that include conversations. Alessandra is a worldwide ambassador of the Alconia Technique, which she teaches at Ecole de Saab and globally. Alessandra regularly, lead, regularly leads intensives, workshops, and classes internationally for professional companies, dance organizations, and training institutions in Europe and Africa. She is currently working on a new work, Dear Winnie, for J-R-C-E-S-A-R, supported by KVS and NNT, which will tour in Holland and Belgium in 2019 and 2020. Alessandra Soutin will be a guest artistic director for the National Youth Dance Company, NYDC, for 2019 to 2020. The new work she creates for them will tour in the UK. Let's bring Alessandra to the table. Hello. Hi, welcome. So welcome and thank you for joining us. So we're going to start with um, our wonderful interview with you and first of all I'd like to find out we've mentioned a few countries that you've been connected with so where would you consider home? Oh <laughs> home is home is in many places for me um, home is in London but home is also inside my mom's house home is in Senegal at Sab because I feel very welcome and comfortable when I'm there mm. Home is wherever I have my bag and suitcase when I'm touring. So all my objects and my my belongings are part of making my me feel like home. So I always try and nest wherever I go. Even if I'm in a hotel room, I always, in a way, make it my own. So that is, for me, that's home. But really, home is where my mother is and um, Senegal, I would say, at the moment. Okay. It's good that you have all those things that can kind of connect you and make you feel like you're at home. I think that's that's important. And do you have a favorite food from home or an experience with a special memory with that food? I think I have two, but I will start with uh, Sadza Nemurio, which is a, a dish that my mom used to cook. Sadza is um, corn flour that you mm-hmm. cook with water and it becomes like a pap. In South Africa, they call it pap. So it becomes like a a, 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 a ball, a starch mm-hmm. ball. And uh, nemuriwo is a potato or sweet potato leaves uh, cooked with um, peanut butter. So it's like a stew, but it's just with green leaves and peanut butter. And you usually eat with your hands. So you take the... You take the, the, the sadza, which is the flour, the corn flour, and you, you dip it and you eat it with the leaves. And I loved when my mom used to do that. It, it just brings me back to childhood, that taste of the peanut butter. Mm. And funnily enough, traveling in West Africa, the taste came back to me when I was eating. They have also peanut butter stew. So it brings mm-hmm. back the memory because of the peanut butter. So that's definitely a, a dish that takes me back home. Oh, sounds delicious. I've I've never had that myself, so uh, that is definitely on my upcoming menu. <laughs> it's very nice. Oh, good. You you've sold it to me, Alessandra. You've definitely sold it to me. So I need to. Do you make it yourself? Yeah, I make it. But here I have to find variations with spinach, or mm. or, or greens because you don't really find sweet potato leaves, um, in the in the UK or in Europe. I've never found any. So, yeah. Mm. So tell us a bit more about your, your journey, your life journey and your career. How did you end up 
you know, living in London and, and working um, mm. in Europe and coming from from Belgium and everything. going to try and be quick with that. Oh, you don't have to be quick. <laughs> be as long-winded as you want. <laughs> so I grew up in Brussels. So I was born in Harare, but I grew up in Brussels. Most of my ch- childhood was in Brussels. And um, I would, I mean, I started dancing in at home. And I remember that I wanted to do ballet. So my mom enrolled me in a ballet ballet school. And I would be doing my little one ballet class week, one ballet class a week and going to school. But I always knew that I was I wanted to either be a surgeon or a dancer. That those, those were the two choices I had. Eventually, I decided that I think I, I want to be a dancer. So when I was about uh, 13, 14, I, I, I wanted to go to the uh, Royal Academy of Fine Arts to to study dance but my father didn't really want me to study dance so we made a compromise so he allowed me to go to still go there attend the school but audition as a to study fine arts so I ended up studying fine arts and finishing my secondary school at the Royal Academy of Fine Arts uh, studying fine arts but always watching the dancers and wishing I was with them on the other side but I was always doing dance at, you know, in the evening, during classes and different things like that. But it was mainly jazz and ballet. And when I turned 18, I decided that I wanted to leave Belgium because I thought that if I leave Belgium, I'd have more opportunities to do what I want to really do, which is dance. And I always had this vision that I wanted to go into a school that would look a little bit like fame, like the fame school, the school in fame where I would be dancing, singing, acting. I had this vision. Mm-hmm. So I ended up moving to London alone at 18, actually with my best friend in a new city that I didn't know. And I knew no, I didn't know anyone in London. So wow. the reality when I ended up arriving is, in London is that I had to survive. <laughs> mm. First, I had savings, but I never expected the difference, you know, the how expensive London was and the cost of living and the realities of living in such a big city compared to Brussels. Yeah. So I ended up having to work in a no, no more jobs just to survive. And uh, after uh, a year, um, I decided that I wanted to now focus, try and focus in finding ways to dance. So I got into a college and, and started and did a access course, what they called an access course, to just allow you to then go into a high, higher education because I had finished that level, but I had not done it in dance, so I, I, needed, to, I needed to do that. So I eventually did that, but then I, I, I got pregnant, and I was pregnant with my son, who is now 19 years old. <laughs> wow. So that kind of stopped me in my tracks again. And had to, took you know, took over the role of being a mother. Right. And when my son was two and a half, I then went back to study dance, mm. and went again for so did a year, and then after that I auditioned for dance schools. I auditioned for different contemporary dance schools and ended up studying, being take you know, choosing actually Laban. So I ended up studying at the the lab, what was called the Laban Center, but now is the Trinity Laban, mm. um, and did a, a BA there. So I ended up going there, and along that in that journey, I discovered other people, people like uh, Beverly Glean, Irie Dance. Mm. I was dancing with the youth company of Irie on the side, which was really beneficial for my uh, for my development because it got me to learn more about Caribbean dances. I Studying at Laban, I felt that there was something missing. There was always something missing for me. Mm-hmm. I felt that I was, I was happy doing the contem- contemporary dance, but I always felt that I was missing other elements. I was missing the jazz. I was missing, I think, the, I, I guess, the Afrocentric uh, movement in, in my studies. So I was doing all these different dances on the side. I was training with uh, Ajido as well when I could. Ajido was a Pan-African dance company that was, yeah, that was funded in the UK. 
and I would train with them in traditional dances. So I, I really felt fed by that. And eventually when I, I left uh, lab and I went to um, Middlesex University to just develop more into the choreographic side and studied dance and choreography there just to push it further. And along that journey, I met a dancer who, who came from Senegal and he was a dancer for Germaine Aconi. We were selected in the Dance Umbrella. I was selected in Dance Umbrella to do an exchange with, uh, with three dancers from, from the continent of Africa who were all younger choreographers. And three of us in the UK were selected to do an exchange with them. And when I was reading their CVs, I, they all had a connection. The connection they had was Ecole des Sables. They all seemed to have studied in this place that was called Ecole des Sables. I was wondering what's Ecole des Sables, and I and I I did some research and found the the school and and looked at that school and thought, wow, this space looks amazing, and this space looks a little bit like the space that I used to imagine in my dreams when I was younger, because when I was younger, I was always imagining that one day I would have my own space in Africa, that would be funded by Europe and supporting local dancers to develop. And suddenly I, I saw this space and thought, this is my space. This is the space. So I eventually ended up going there with the help of um, what was called ADAD in the past, who's now One Dance UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ADAD was the Association of Dance of the African Diaspora. And I was, I was selected to be a trailblazer. And with that support, I was able to go and study in Senegal for three months. And that, I think, is, a, is what changed everything for me. That was a big change in my career. And um, I, I started yeah, working much more internationally after that because I, I created a lot of international connections. And I had already developed, started developing my company, Vocab Dance. And think that experience really nurtured the vision nurtured what I want the focus what I wanted to work with the fact that I wanted my work to be contemporary but from an Africanist perspective exploring issues um, of what I would say the unheard or the people who don't always have a voice mm-hmm. tackling issues that bothered me or you know uh, bothered many people around me just doing bringing that into the work and I think that. That change, moving, traveling, nurtured the the idea of of working, of developing my voice, and I think that what that's what has helped my career, the travels, and I'm very lucky uh, with the job I have that I'm able to travel and meet people all over the world. It keeps feeding my creativity. It keeps feeding me. It keeps feeding the work. It keeps feeding the knowledge. So I'm really. Uh, yeah, grateful. So there's a lot to say, but I would say that is a that's a journey to to where I am right now, I would say. Wow. wow. That certainly is a journey. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to find out because you mentioned that you came when you were eighteen to, to the UK to London and that probably and that it was a challenge. Yeah. Was there something that you wished that you knew about the UK before you came here? Yes and no, because at the same time it made it made me more resilient and it made it it made me become more of a fighter and really, you know, persistent and a survivor in a way, because the, I don't want to go into details, but living in London was stressful and there were moments where I was had no food, didn't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, where I'm going to so it was really like I think it's it's part of, of the of growth. Sometimes you have to go through. I really wanted to not ask my parents for help. I I decided that this is my choice, so I'm going to take ownership of that choice, and and go with it. So I feel like it actually fed my creativity and fed my artistry and fed the you know and and made me the person I am today. So I I, I don't regret it. Mm. I definitely support people who come from abroad when they say they come into London I'm always the one telling them you need to do this you need to do that you know being (laughs) supporting them in their journeys but I I personally don't regret it 
Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned um, that turning point where you went and spent those three months in yes. Senegal. Can you just talk more about how that really um, maybe changed the way you identified yourself? Did you feel, mm. you know, in terms of from where you were living in Brussels and then living in London and then now having that experience in Senegal? What, what was that for you? So I have to retract a little bit before I answer the question fully, but there was, in terms of identity there, uh, in my life, there's always been this question around identity because my father is a white Belgian man and he's my biological father and my mother is a black South African. But um, I like physically, I look, I just look black mm. in terms of, you know, I just look like an African or any, you know, yeah, I look African. So that was already something growing up with this, these questions. People always asking, who is this person picking you up from school? And I would say, it's my dad. And people would laugh and say, no, it's the post. Your mom went with the postman, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of question. So already there was this sense of identity, these questions around identity. And, 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 in, in, and in Belgium, Africans would call me bounty. They would always call me bounty because they would always say, oh, you're like, you're a black person, but you're you've got you're you've got a white inside. You're inside. You're white on the ins in the inside, like a bounty chocolate. And that was always a challenge. Not a challenge, but I was always questioning. So when I came to the UK, I felt a relief because I could identify more with um, the brown people in the UK because there was a sense of acceptance of who you were. Because when I was in Belgium, I was a I was the, not the average black girl. Mm -hmm. I was very I was a little bit grungy. I would listen to rock, even though I loved black music, but I also loved rock and I was a bit of a grunge and a bit <laughs> strange to some people. So when I came to the UK and discovered the diversity in, in terms of brown people, Caribbean, African, I felt very, um, I felt in a way quite free to express because I felt there was a variety of black people. Whereas in Belgium, before there was mostly Congolese so it was a culture it was a way of life mostly and I felt I didn't associate to that so mm -hmm. coming to London changed that already but studying dance there was always the same issues with dance it was always this idea of the hierarchy of classic classical dance and how classical dance is the mother of everything and how everything you do has to associate to that or this is the excellence so if you don't do anything close to that you're not excellent. Mm -hmm. So I, I had, in a way, grown up with this idea. But then when I went to Senegal, I would see, I was surrounded by 40 other dancers from 24 countries in Africa and the Caribbean. And we were living together for three months. And suddenly everything changed because I saw excellence within their bodies, in traditional dances, in the creativity of contemporary African dance. The, the experimental ideas behind it that were even more experimental than in the UK, but also German Akoni, who always insisted that it was important for us in order to know where we are going to understand where we are coming from mm -hmm. and to have this sense of uh, belonging and understanding our roots. And that if we didn't know where we're going to, to go back to them and that understanding traditional forms or yeah, or patrimonial forms, how you want to call it, um, was very important in the development of contemporary dance for us because most of our, we could develop contemporary dance with the forms that we already had. And studying there with all these other dancers, we would have exchanges in traditional dance. And already with, with 40 dancers from, 42 dancers from 24 countries, I learned so many dances that were from their traditional dances and realize we have so much vocabulary, we have so much material to develop, to create new forms. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately, classical dance and all of that is not the, for me, not the mother. It's not the mother. The center for me is not that. It's not necessarily that. I appreciate it and I love it and it gives me what it needs to give me. But it's not everything. And that I have, and suddenly my body accepted the fact that this is great. I've got that as a baggage, but that's not it. There's so much more to explore uh, already within my own traditional dances, but also other traditional dances on the continent. And that changed my whole perspective. 
And I came back with this idea that that's what I wanted to do, develop that, push that and develop that in my vocabulary, uh, rather than the idea of fusing the classical forms and the African forms, but actually creating a contemporary language based on traditional forms. So that changed my perspective completely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a really life-changing experience to kind of have those those moments where you everything put, becomes uh, everything comes into perspective, you know. Um, so was it those moments that made you want to become a dance artist and choreographer? When did you throw away the idea of being a surgeon? Oh no, that was a long time ago. I think the idea of being a surgeon was when I was about sixteen, and I. I researched and and realized that it would be it would take me about um, fourteen years of studies before I could even practice anything. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, I I don't have the energy for that. <laughs> I don't have the, I don't see myself doing that. I don't want to be start. I don't want to start working in my thirties. I just want to be. So I I thought let's go for it. So when I left Belgium, that's when I decided I want to do this as a career. I want to really push. Uh, my career but I oh I was always choreographing because I was I was always creating work in the school ground playground I would get girls and guys and put them in formation and create dances for the end of year show I was telling them where to go I would mix tapes <laughs> and create music and record sounds I was already doing that I realized later that I was already doing that as a child but mm -hmm. I didn't really it did make for me it was something normal but I was already um, doing that writing and making shapes and design designing where people would stand and what would happen and the costumes and yeah so I was already doing that when I was 11 10 mm. wow that's brilliant that's brilliant <laughs> so you you always had the gift there you just didn't know what it was called I guess I didn't know what it was called <laughs> um so a uh, playground choreographer, age 11, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, so can I ask you who uh, or what has been your biggest inspiration? Yeah, so definitely Germaine Aconi, like I said. Mm. But I would say my jazz teacher uh, when I was 12. Um, Belgium jazz teacher, Isabel Becquet. She, because when I was doing my, when I was doing ballet, I really felt awkward. My teacher always said, you are, you've got flat feet, you've got arched back. She never gave me, you know, that, that was the mentality in, in Belgium. You'd never get compliments. You were always criticized. Mm -hmm. And that's how you would train with the idea of being criticized and working against the criticism. So I was always, I was always felt criticized. And I remember seeing a jazz class and then asking my mom, can I try jazz? Because I would already experiment doing the ballet on R&B music or other popular music just to give it a little bit of feeling or a bit more just to push it. And I discovered jazz. And I remember this jazz teacher, Isabel Becker, she was amazing. And she really pushed me. I don't know. It felt like she became a mentor. She would push me in her class. She would. I was the youngest in her class because I started with her, but then she made me go up a level. So I was the youngest in the class because she felt that I had the, I had enough talent to go into the next class. And I remember that time, all I had known, I was always the only black, brown child in, in most classes. And I remember Alvin Ailey came to Belgium and I didn't know of them. And Isabel Becker asked my mom if she could take me to see a show. And... My mom, yeah, paid for the ticket and allowed me to go with her. Mm. And it was Alvin Ailey. And I remember that changed my life because as a young dancer who was doing ballet with, you know, and jazz, but we, in mostly uh, European Western schools, dance schools, I, I had no image of anyone that looked like me that was excellent. Mm -hmm. So watching Alvin Ailey was a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Because I saw black bodies, um, amazing, excellent black bodies with grace who could do ballet, but also could get down. And I was so proud. And that was a revelation to me. It, it, I believed I could do everything I wanted. I believed this, I can be that because they can be that. Mm -hmm. So that changed everything. And that's also what helped me decide I wanted to pursue dance because before that, I had I was starting to hesitate because I always felt like all I'm getting is criticism 
except from that jazz teacher, but all I would get was always criticism. So seeing them gave me hope. And so I would say that they definitely were my inspiration. Mm. And then later on, definitely uh, Germaine Aconi. And just before that, another teacher called Tamara. Um, yeah, Tammy, Tamara, uh, who she was a choreography teacher at Middlesex. And I remember my first ever piece was called Episodes of Blackness. Mm. And I remember having an arg- a conversation with her where I felt that I was scared of giving this title to the work, but also using only black dancers because I was scared of the judgment. And she told me, but Alessandro, when companies only use white dancers, nobody says anything. So why would you feel any way if you use only black dancers? If your piece is about episodes of blackness and it's about the black experience, why would you use white dancers? Mm -hmm. It's okay. And she's a white woman. And she said that, and that also gave me a, a freedom to just do the work I want to do without and not being apologetic about it. So those three women really changed, and the company, of course, changed uh, my perspective. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, yeah, you mentioned this sort of um, idea of training when you grew up, mm-hmm. always having criticism and... I'm wondering, did you carry that with you and did that affect how you thought of success? Um, possibly, but when I came to the UK, I was very shocked with this, the way they trained because it was the total opposite. It was more about uh, constructive criticism and it was also more about encouragement. I would always hear good, good, and I would think, but that's not good. How can they say that's good? That's not good, you know? <laughs> and I say, good, good. I think, good, what? That's not good. But <laughs> so I definitely, I definitely carried that, but I think it also uh, inspired me. So I worked, I, I even work with that balance. I have to say that it influenced me a little bit because I work with the idea of, constructive criticism Mm -hmm. but also I'm very honest and I'm very straightforward but at the same time I know when to encourage and I know when to and I and I feel like I know when to give you the right correction without breaking you because I think a lot of the mentality in dance was about really breaking you Mm -hmm. in a way to make you stronger but it doesn't work with everyone because some people are broken and never return mm. and others fight through and dis- and survive. So I guess that helped me fight through and survive. And I have to say with the father I had, who was very, who's a very, who's got a very like Belgian mentality and the Belgian mentality is very pessimistic and very, um, I would say, yes, yeah, pessimist, but also ironic. So my father was very much like that. So it was hard to, you couldn't be, you had to be tough to survive because he wouldn't. With when I would tell him I want to dance, he would say, "No, you won't dance. If you dance, you'll end up working for in a chip shop." So you had to be tough and say, "No, I'm going to do something else," rather than believing that. So yeah, I have to say the training helped in the sense of uh, survival. So I carried that through, but the UK also can help me find a balance with that. Mm, that's good yeah so what would you say is um your proudest personal or professional achievement Mm. my proudest i think there are so many (laughs) okay i think i'm gonna start with one of the latest yeah i'll start a little bit backwards um so one of them is Dear Weenie. I'm in a production that is currently touring and, well, currently, that was touring and that will continue, hopefully, uh, called Dear Weenie, which is a piece uh, with nine, nine women from the Caribbean and, Afri- from Caribbean and African background, um, all uh, actors or singers, rapper. I'm the more I'm the main dancer in it mm-hmm. and choreographer as well. So I'm choreographing in it alongside the director, and I'm also a performer in it. So that is a highlight. Why? Because two years ago I said I really want to explore more of the acting side or mm-hmm. more of a performative side. I want to do more of that work. 
um, on top of dancing because that's where I'm evolving. And I, I, I had this opportunity and, and it's a, been an amazing opportunity because it's working with nine women, but who are all different, but who all feel like sisters. We have uh, grown to be together and develop together and learn from each other. And it's been powerful to be on stage talking about issues of race, talking about the apartheid, talking about what it is to be an activist during this time, unapologetically with music, with dance, with songs, with nine other women in a very ama- in an amazing production. So I think that's definitely an achievement and that is touring everywhere. And we have dates normally in South Africa as well and in America and all over the world, but hopefully they'll happen. But just that, that achievement of being part of the making and being in the production is powerful. Uh, the second one, I think it's um, my piece, Boy Breaking Glass. Mm-hmm. But because it's going to develop, it's developing into a full-length piece, but it's not necessarily just the piece because I feel like it still needs to get to where I want it to get to, to get to, but it's the achievement of being on Sanders World stage. Mm-hmm. Because when I first came to the UK and I was studying, I always said I want my work to be on this stage one day. And to achieve it was powerful. Why? Because in the 21 years that I have been in the UK, I had never seen a black dance company that was not American on that stage, Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. British. Mm I had never experienced that. Or, you know, it was mostly Harlem, Bill T. Jones, Alvin Ailey. I had not seen a British company on that stage. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm not British, I I consider myself, because I've lived 21 years, so I've lived there the longest, but I'd never seen a a company like me or a woman choreographer, black woman choreographer on that stage. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was an achievement. And I felt like, and I feel, and I hope it's an open, it's a door that can open for others because it it had not not happened. I had not seen it before. So that was just definitely an achievement. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, Akoni technique, training with German Akoni and being one of her, you know, one of her advocates, but training in that technique and, and being, I'm proud of being able to share a technique that is coming from the African continent and I'm, and, you know, working to make it, to make, to bring it to the place it needs to, to have and, uh, and to share it and to empower other dancers through it. I think it's powerful. And the other one is really my company, the work I do. I'm I'm proud of the work I do. I feel like it's hard and it's not easy, but I'm proud that I'm still alive and I'm still surviving and doing what I'm doing. You know, I could have easily disappeared from the spectrum of dance, but I'm still here. So I'm proud and happy. So those are my achievements. Wonderful. Those are great achievements. Well done. And I was there Thank you. Um, to witness you at Sadler's Wells. And it was definitely a beautiful moment just to see so many of our people coming together yeah. to support you. And even just that program, seeing how strong the work was and seeing all those elements of the music and the dance and the theater happening on stage. Um, yeah, I hadn't. I mean, it's true in the in the short time that I've been here, I haven't seen any other black company apart from ones from the states on that stage so yes yeah. that's definitely a proud moment for you and i think for the uk dance sector as a whole yes yeah yeah absolutely um and it is interesting that you mentioned that and you, i i guess i hadn't really thought about that too much um that there haven't been many um british black british choreographers on the stage especially the main stage yeah um, except for boy uh, for breaking convention breaking convention yes yes and on the on the main stage um as well so i've seen you on the main stage too so that's amazing congratulations <laughs> no, thank you do you have a uh, personal or professional mantra that that motivates you and keeps you going and has that evolved over time? <laughs> so there's definitely, if you go wrong, go wrong and strong. I think I say it in yeah. every of my class. Uh, that's definitely a mantra because we won't always achieve or get what we want, but we keep going strong. So that's definitely one. 
And there's another one, I think it's, is it from Shaka Khan? I'm not sure who it is from, but it's work it on its servant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's another one. You know, you know, in order to, to serve it, you need to work it and you need to own it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's definitely one. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, I've written that down, Alessandra. So uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I need to put that up on my wall somewhere. <laughs> yes, we'll get the. Well, you need to, to have maybe like a t-shirt production. <laughs> Alessandra, <Hurting> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I had. I actually had a student in Spain. I did a workshop over the weekend, and she wrote all my. <laughs> amongst them they wrote all my quotes during classes it was so hilarious because i didn't realize i would i was saying so many things and they wrote it down all the <laughs> all the different um words i would say or sentences like you know if you can walk if you can walk you can dance or don't die don't die ignorant ask questions you know things yeah. like it was so funny yeah anyway um next phase next phase um so um i would i wanted to find out uh how you stay motivated to continue to pursue your goals so particularly on the days when you may not want to so obviously at the moment in the world there's been so many things going on uh that have that may have affected your um well-being so how do you stay motivated to continue to pursue your goals? Um, I'm going to be very honest, as I always try to be, but when this first happened, I had three weeks where I did nothing, literally. I didn't move. I did not. I disconnected because it was a shock in a way. It was a shock in terms of I was questioning my purpose because I've, I always give. There's this sense of always giving in everything that I do, teaching, Mm -hmm. choreographing, performing, you're always offering something, you're always giving. Mm. And suddenly you're, you're no longer doing that. And I'm not so used to getting as much, I no, I get it, but you know, you give a lot Mm -hmm. and you don't always know that you're getting back. I'm not saying that I'm not getting back, but you don't, you're not always aware that you're getting back. Yes. You're getting applause. And yes, your students are saying things, but it's not the same feeling anyway. So I locked myself in, in a way, and I had to take a moment. But I think what inspired me is is the, is the network, is the sector, is seeing others as well still having strength to be sharing. And I thought, wow, I don't even know how they're doing it mm. at first. I would, And I remember the first... First thing, and I told him yesterday because I had a, a meeting with him, Ronald K. Brown. Mm-hmm. And I told him the first person that made me move was him. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he, did, he did a challenge. And I remember I was in the kitchen, it was 11 p.m. And I saw that video and I said, oh, I want to respond to this. This is cool. And he just spoke to me and I stood up and I started dancing with it. And that was my first dance after three weeks of sit of being in so i would say that what keeps me going is the energies mm-hmm. energies around me the energy of the people for example in london there's this energy that sucks you i always say i love london but it takes a lot of you it doesn't always give you a lot mm-hmm. but it takes a lot from you so i'm blessed to be able to I, to travel every year to Senegal. And I feel that's where I take my energy back mm-hmm. and come back revived because I go there to give, but I get so much from the people there, the students, the dancers there. They are so hungry. They give you back. You give them and they give you back double. So there's this kind of continuous connection. So I think that is what keeps me motivated is the energy of the people, is the inspiration of everything, everyone that's around me. Other artists inspire me, the books, you know, the music, the the dancers. So I think that's what keeps me going is this sense of the life happening, life happening around me, mm-hmm. the motivation. I'm, I'm also a sponge. So I, I grab onto those energies as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what keeps me motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned your purpose as well. Do you know what your purpose is? 
oh yes, I think I know now. I think my purpose is definitely to is to open people to find themselves. I don't know how to yeah, I don't know if I can it sounds strange, but it's my purpose to find is to give something in order to open your own self. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think that's my purpose in life because you know, it's bigger than dance. Mm. It's bigger than just movement, but I think through the work I do, I unleash something I I'll help others to unleash something out of them. Yes. To open something in them. So I think that's my purpose. It is to nurture others through the work I do. Yes. To heal is to inspire. So I think that's the purpose. Yeah, it's very important. A very a very important role that you play there. So um in those moments you said you took three weeks off um yeah. in, in the beginning of, of this current season that we're in. So yeah. how how are you in general gracious or patient with yourself? Yes, um I I am accepting of the situation because there's nothing else I can do, but I can do other things, being proactive. So that's why, for example, I initiated the um, the Acony Technique Online, I, I, I put it on, I wrote down the ideas and proposed them to Ecole des Sab, and they were very happy and it's been going on for 11 weeks. So I would say that I think it's accepting the fact that we don't have an answer for everything and it's going back to the concept of the what they call the African time. So in Africa, and I'm sure in the Caribbean too, people live in the now mm. they, they live in the past but in the now because it's about survival it's about what am i going to eat today women go to the market every morning to go and buy food that they're going to cook today they don't go to the market to buy food to, to buy provisions for the whole week or two months you usually buy the food fresh you fish you buy it you cook it you know, it's right here, right now. You are surviving for now. Your family is right here. What am I, what am I going to eat now? Whereas our concept is always about the long, the long run, this idea of, of tomorrow or two weeks, one month. But right now with the situation we're in, we, we, we can't think about one week, what's in one week, because we are in the everyday. There's a different thing changing. Maybe now it's a bit more because we have different information, but we are living in a very present day by day. So I had to shift the concept. I had to shift and accept that I've worked hard to know already two years in advance where I'm going to be. And now I'm back to when I was in my beginnings, not knowing what's happening next week sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'm accepting, I'm, I'm accepting that. I'm accepting the fact that time has shifted and that I have to be a little bit more in the now. I can still dream and plan for the future, but I have to also be I have to also accept that what is today is today. That today is today. Mm. That's beautiful. I'm writing all of that down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> just we're just here taking notes. <laughs> Masterclass with Alessandra. <laughs> wow. So we've just received so much from you today um before we close out of some of the more serious stuff what advice you know even in that thought process of today is today and um you know plan for two years from now but also be present what advice would you give anyone that wanted to pursue a career in dance theater um I would say you are going to have to be ready to fall and to get up all the time. You're going to be, you have to get yourself ready for that mm-hmm. um, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to have to fall and always find a way of getting back stronger continuously. You're going to have to, yeah, you're just going to have to be ready to mend, mend yourself and get back and, and be strong enough to survive because it's not an easy industry. It's a beautiful industry, but it's not an easy industry. And you're just going to have to let your passion lead you and, and carry you. But definitely you have to know how to fall and get up all the time because it's not easy. 
but there's a way and there's a there's, there's there's also the satisfaction it's like a race you don't always win the race but when you win the race you're so happy so i would say yeah that's what i would say mm. if it makes sense <laughs> yeah, that makes sense for sure yeah it does all right so we're gonna switch gears a bit we have um the last few of our questions, which is a surprise question. We didn't want you to prepare for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just like to have a little fun. Of course, our podcast is called Yams and Yuka. So we have to know which one do you prefer, yams or yuka? And how do you Oof. like them cooked? Uh-huh. I think I like yam better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love boiled yeah 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 what's what's the perfect meal with one with boiled yam then Ooh, so it's i think you find it most in ghana or nigeria or ivory coast but they do this i eat fish i don't eat meat but i still eat sometimes fish and it's fish in a red stew Mm -hmm. with yam boiled yam yeah and it's very it's hot and it's so nice yeah my mother-in-law makes that for um for the family she's from mm. yeah she makes it almost every week <laughs> i my- love that yeah what do you prefer you cow yam <laughs> i'm asking um, you <laughs> well i prefer yams and i prefer um yams as we call them in the states which are really sweet potatoes yes. like, you know, with slavery you know all of the traditional foods from west africa were adapted to whatever was available in the states, so they didn't have the traditional yams so they they treated um sweet potatoes as yams in a sense i love it sweet potato yeah so that's what we call when we say we're gonna have yams and usually it's candied yams yes make them really nice and sweet and soft um, you know, sugar, brown sugar, syrup, um, what else? Butter, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, all of that. I've had that. It's yeah. intense, but it's it's a lot. It's very sweet. If you're not used to it, that sweet. Yeah, it's a lot. But I actually I've adapted mine because I used to make them really, really sweet like that. And then obviously my partner is from Ghana, and he's he's not used to sweet. He's just a <laughs> regular yam, you know, with the with the um, pepper stew with the fish. Um, so he was like, oh, this is too sweet. And his mom definitely didn't like how sweet it was. So I started to make mine a mix of sweet and savory. So I, I yes. balanced out some of that, some of that sweetness. But when I make it for back home, yeah, candied all the way. Just sweet. Oh, wow. I, I haven't had that either. I haven't had that. I like sweet potato. Um, yeah, sweet potato fries is, is my preferred thing. Yeah. I've just, I've just realized we need to do a yams and yuca cookbook recipes we do actually because your suggestions alessandra um (laughs) i I need i need to know more i need to have these foods and i i want i want them now but um i will i will hold myself and and we will have we'll have to have a real meal with these menu items very soon so I just wanted to thank you, Alessandra, for sharing your journey and insight into dance theatre. It has just been so incredible to hear your story, your journey, and I've been inspired, and I know that our listeners will be inspired, and we look mm-hmm. forward to sharing this with our listeners as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it as well. Of course, and we hope to have you back soon. Yes, thank you. All right. (laughs) Well, we're going to take a break and digest everything that Alessandra shared with us. And when we come back, it'll be time to indulge in our sweet and savory moment. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And now it's time for dessert. We're going to talk about our sweet and savory moments from our conversation with Alessandra. First off, what's a sweet moment? What's a savory moment? For me personally, I prefer the sweet desserts, those sweet moments. Those are the ones that are light and fluffy and fun. Um, A little sugar rush for you, something like a cake or a cookie or biscuit, as they say in the UK. 
um, something like that. And savory, what's savory for you, Kamara? Savory is something that is um, that you enjoy, that you think about for a long time, and might be a bit more in depth. So for food wise, definitely fav- savory is something like a cheese board. And that is something that you, you know, you enjoy really take the time to soak in the flavors mm-hmm. is the way to describe it. Yes. Mm, great. All right. So for Alessandra's conversation, my sweet moment, um, for me, it was when she mentioned Ronald K. Brown as being her inspiration to get moving again during mm. quarantine. Yes. And it just, it warms my heart because I know um, Ronald K. Brown personally. I've worked with him in the studio on um, different pieces of choreography that he set on Philodenko. And I know that feeling like of seeing him move and just his choreography and what that does to the body. And I was like, mm, that just, it was, it was fun. It just put a nice little smile on my face. What about you, Kamara? Uh, yes, definitely. My sweet moments were her quotes. So work it, own it, serve it, definitely, mm-hmm. and go wrong and strong. I have definitely heard her say that um, yeah. in, in the studio, but work it, own it, serve it. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. And I've definitely said that. I think that's a universal thing, go wrong and strong, because yes. um, I've heard that as well. And I've say, I say that to my students. You know, I grew up with my teachers telling me that. And I tell my students, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong and strong. Absolutely. Don't show your mistakes. Absolutely. Make us believe that it was right. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Good. All right. And what about your savory moment? My savory moment was when Alessandra was reflecting about uh, staying motivated or how she's gracious to herself and mm-hmm. accepting that you don't have the answers, don't mm-hmm. always have the answers. So I think that is something that's important for us all to remember or for me personally to remember that you don't always have the answers and it's okay. And that is okay. Yeah, that was mine as well, actually. So we're, we're right in sync there. And um, also what I wrote down as part of that, that idea of just accepting that you don't know is being in the now in that today is today. You you can dream, you can plan, you can hope that something is going to happen, but all you know there's always the now that you have to be present in and there's something there's something meaningful and rewarding in just being in the now absolutely yes all right well we are all done for today that's it for our conversation and our meal with alessandra so we want to hear from you guys what are your sweet and savory moments share with us of course on social media um, using the hashtag yams and yuka um, make sure you tag us we are at yams and yuka on twitter and at yams and yuka podcast on instagram and facebook thank you for joining us yeah and we will talk to you guys next time bye bye